0: Following is a presentation of Main Street Media, your source for news, sports, and information on Main Street in Middle Tennessee. From preps to pros and everything in between, it's Southern Middle Tennessee Sports today, live from the Lee Company Studio. With the Hall of Famer Roe Patton, here's Chris Gow. Welcome back in,
1: or welcome in,
0: to hour number two if you're
1: listening on the podcast. And if you are listening on the podcast, you're going to want to go back and listen to hour one because we talked about something on the other side of that break that uh, we will continue talking about here on this segment. So, looking forward to it because... I have, I'm genuinely curious uh, about Mo's thoughts on this. So on the other side of the break, I basically said that Jeff Perlman, friend of the show asked how in the world Kurt Warner was considered a hall of fame quarterback and earned a gold jacket. And again, my response to Jeff was that, well, it's the pro football hall of fame and you have to take into account the arena football league stats because it's the second longest, Running American professional football league of all time. So it, of course, it's now gone, but it still lasted over 30 years. So we got to take that into consideration. That being said, his work in the NFL was still very good as a as a leader and as a quarterback, I to some degree. I mean, obviously he had some great weapons around him. But Mo says he has thoughts. I've got and thoughts. Apparently we've got a hot take oh, in coming. So
2: I don't know that it's necessarily a hot take. My thing is Kurt Warner's first year as a starter in the National Football League was nineteen ninety nine, the year that you know they were the greatest show on turf and they went and won the Super Bowl defeating the Tennessee Titans. Um, he got into the lineup because Trent Green suffered a concussion that, that wouldn't allow him to play. I'm sorry, a torn ACL. Um, I thought he had some concussion issues as well. At any rate, he was not the starter from the get in 1999. He went in because Trent Green was unavailable.
1: How he, he started 16 games in 1999.
2: I think Green was hurt in the preseason. Okay. But he wasn't supposed to be the starter. Correct. There, I mean, Trent Green was supposed to be the guy for them. How – if this guy was so great, how did they not realize it until Trent Green got hurt? I mean, you've got these great offensive minds. Dick Vermeule's the head coach. Um, Mike Martz was the offensive coordinator at the time. Um, and and this guy was a second stringer.
1: No, well, yeah. same thing with Tom Brady.
0: I was just going to say, um, <laughs> how was Tom Brady not thought to be the starter in New England? I mean, you could you could ask that question as well. You know, a guy that came in because of an injury and went on to to be the best quarterback ever.
1: I guess my question in that situation is Kurt Warner stepped into the nineteen ninety-nine team that included Marshall Falk and also had Torrey Holt.
2: Isaac Bruce. and also had Isaac Bruce. Mm-hmm. Well, the ninety eight team had Pearl. Isaac. Well,
1: both both of those guys were on the ninety eight team. So I mean I'm excluding them from that from this particular part of it because Holt and Falk were not on the 98 team that went like two and 14. Okay. So uh, would Trent green have led that team to a, a super bowl? We'll never know. No, I don't, I don't think he could have, but there's that. I I, I guess if you just go over, you know, what the, the, the first three years of, of Kurt's career as a starter, you know, went thirteen and three. Obviously, won the Super Bowl, eight and three the next year. I'm, I guess he got hurt, and then uh, fourteen and two in two thousand one before losing to Tom Brady. And after that, it he was injured for quite a few years until coming back and playing for the Giants for one year, and then in Arizona, you know what he did there in his final year 10 and five with the super bowl loss to the pittsburgh steelers i I mean 67 and 49 overall as a starter in the national football league 208 touchdowns to 128 picks um 260 yards per game and a 93.7 career qb rating 93.7 is pretty good but i can understand where you would think that you know Kurt Warner is kind of a game manager.
2: I'm looking at Warner's Wikipedia right now. And in 2000, apparently he broke his hand in the middle of the season, but Trent Greenfield in ably and the Warner green duo led the Rams to their highest team passing yard total in NFL history with 5,232 net yards. I mean, Maybe Trent Green could have done what Warner did in 99. I don't know. I'm not saying...
1: Marshall Falk was the star of that show.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it it just... It's just kind of baffling to me, and it's been baffling for me for, for over 20 years. I mean, that was... I was fortunate enough to be on the coverage team for that Super Bowl, and that was one of the questions that I had even then. I mean, how did you not know about this guy until green got hurt. If he's all this, it's just interesting. I
1: think a lot of that Mo, and this is this, this very well may be my, you know, my shortcoming coming through in this question or this answer. But I think a lot of it is people look down on the arena football league period. If, if you played in the arena football league, you aren't anything special and you're not good enough for the NFL. No matter what?
2: But the thing is, the Arena Football League, from a quarterback standpoint in particular, is is as much as good a preparation for it as anything. Just because everything is so compressed and everything. I is so understand quick. that.
1: You understand that. I don't think that a lot of a lot of people, general people. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily talking about GMs and, and head coaches here. I think a lot of people. Still believe that it's it's just not good enough. If that's where you are, then that's that's as good as you are. You're a minor leaguer, mm-hmm. and Warner's helped change that a little bit, but also the game changed at that time. The game flipped from you know a lot of the the Barry Sanders and and the Natron Means and Jerome Bettises of the world to the style of play that Dan Marino was w- was playing you know it was it was kind of aired out and the quarterback became a much more valuable position in the late 90s early 2000s and that was part of it so I, I think he's a pro football hall of famer because of his body of work in the NFL Europe he was a champion he was an arena bowl champion he was a two two, two time super bowl cha- no one time super bowl champion three times super bowl participant so I, I think that's that's good enough
2: <laughs> well I mean, and again my reaction wasn't to the sure. whether or not he's a hall of famer I mean clearly he is he's in you know and, and you can have that same com- conversation about whether or not someone is deserving on a lot of folks I, I just no the, just the way that he evolved into even being in the conversation has just always mm-hmm. kind of struck me as interesting so, no to mm-hmm. take. Yeah, nope. I,
1: nope. <laughs> I think it's I think it's fair. It's a fair question to ask. Absolutely. Um, we were supposed to talk about college basketball in this segment, <laughs> so let's do that real quick. Because you, I feel like your take on this and your tweet was, you know, Tennessee lost a game they didn't deserve to lose in Tuscaloosa, and they won a game last night they didn't deserve to win in Thompson Bowling Arena. So. You know, and we talked yesterday with Chris Lee about this. Ole Miss is not a very good basketball team. Right they now. are
2: not a very good basketball team, and UT made them look like a Final Four participant last night. <laughs> UT played like trash. They I played
1: mean, at, They played as poorly there as they did in New York.
2: Yeah, someone tweeted, and I didn't get to see the Texas Tech game, so I couldn't really respond with any base of knowledge to someone's tweet that that's what they looked like up there. But they looked they looked like hot garbage last night. I mean, shooters couldn't shoot. I mean, even even your guys that are supposed to be shooters, like Justin Powell, couldn't buy a basket. I mean, Viscovi couldn't hit anything until the last five minutes of regulation. They just looked, I don't know, out of sync, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. They 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 turned it over. They had about six shot clock violations probably. I mean, Didn't score the first four minutes. Yeah.
1: I mean, we were, you were in a a, a, a media timeout and it before was before they scored.
2: And yeah, I mean, the under 16 came and went and they still hadn't scored yet to open the game. <laughs> Chris, they it only was had 11 nothing. It was they, 11 nothing before they scored.
0: They had two points at the under 10 mark.
1: My goodness. That's insane. Yeah. And they They've won. They've got to figure it out because their next five games, as you can see on the screen, there at LSU, then they come back home for South Carolina, then they go to Kentucky and come to Nashville to Memorial before getting LSU at home. Those that, those five games right there, outside of South Carolina, those are tough. Yeah, yeah. You got to figure yeah. it out. Maybe they were maybe they were overlooking Ole Miss, looking ahead to LSU. That's I
2: mean that'll get you beat. It it will in and fact. It should have gotten them beat last night. Yeah. Um I was I was intrigued to see Ziegler and Chandler on the floor at the same time a lot for UT last night cuz I kind of thought they were both point guards. Maybe not. Well,
1: they are both point guards, but I think Kennedy Chandler can do a lot more than Ziegler can and giving Ziegler the opportunity to let Chandler
3: do some of those other things.
1: Yeah. I I feel like – I think it's a matchup problem for some people because you typically only have one guy who can guard a true ball handler. And when you have two true ball handlers on the floor, you're going to create some matchup problems. But clearly, maybe that's not the case. Or maybe they
2: created them and couldn't take advantage of them. I'm not sure. It was also interesting down the stretch last night, no Fulkerson.
1: That's – decisions being made at this point by Rick Barnes are not encouraging that's all I'm gonna say he's made some 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 tough decisions over the last couple of ball games and I I'm not I don't feel like He's got a feel for this team yet. And maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just trying to figure it out because again, it doesn't matter as long as you get in. Right? Yeah. Just get in. So figure it out. And and I've seen coaches do that. I've seen coaches try everything in the book, you know, against good competition to see what's going to win in March. What's going to win, you know, during the SEC tournament, the NCAA tournament. And if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. Alabama last night defeated Florida, eighty-three to seventy, in the O Dome, and no, no struggle. Although Florida led at halftime, Alabama came out in the second half and just destroyed the Gators. I don't know what Nate Oates said at halftime, but it was it was pretty impressive because they took the lead with fifteen minutes to go and then never trailed again.
2: And and you know. Like you said, we talked to Chris Lee yesterday. Florida's had a couple of good wins. They've also got that Texas Southern loss. That's, ooh, bad. Um, I think the honeymoon might be about over in Gainesville for Mike White.
1: Maybe so. I'll be curious to see um, what, what they decide to do because Florida is a very good basketball school. It's a place that you can win. A lot well, of I games.
2: Mean, when, when you look down there and you see the Billy Donovan court, you know this is a program that won back-to-back NCAA national championships. Uh, and, That's right. You know, this, they've got this, they've
1: they've got a couple of good wins. They've got some bad losses. So you know they're going to have to turn it around too. Hopefully, they don't do it against Tennessee in uh, a couple of weeks. <laughs> Come back with us. Dr. Alan Seals, NFL Chief Medical Officer, joins us on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today. Stick around. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or
2: www.mtbj.net. Fast Stop Markets is a full-service, family-owned convenience store chain located in 14 locations throughout Middle and West Tennessee. For those in our listing area, you can find them in Columbia, Centerville, Lawrenceburg, Spring Hill, Dixon, and White Bluff.
1: Fast Stop partners with wholesale fuel brands like Shell, Marathon, and Exxon delivering a consistent customer experience that is fast, friendly, and clean. It's not already. It will soon become your go-to store to shop in town or on the road. Fast Stop Markets is proud to be keeping you moving in Tennessee.
3: Keep your home as comfortable as possible. If you have any issues with your air conditioner, electrical, or plumbing systems, call Lee Company. Our techs use visual findings and other technology tools to add transparency and clarity. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on the roof.
1: Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic injuries, and our orthoquick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net.
0: This is Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today. Sports talk like it used to be. You know, like your crazy uncle used to listen to. Only better. Here's Chris and Mel.
1: Welcome back in Southern Middle Tennessee sports today. Presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. You know, I, I don't know how many, uh, how, how many times my crazy uncle listened to sports talk shows, but I have a guest quite as, uh, unique as this one, Mo. And I'm looking forward to this conversation that we are about to have, especially as we are in the midst of one of the most, uh, surging variants of COVID since this thing started. So, uh, you know when when I brought this idea up to you, a- and it was essentially because I just didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what what was happening, what was going to happen, and obviously that's kind of been exactly the way we felt for the last you know two years almost to this point. Is <laughs> it's a fluid situation, and so I'm really excited uh, that, that we were able to procure a guest of this magnitude. And uh, Mo, I will let you do the honors since, uh, you know, you guys go way back.
2: We do go way back. Um, joining us here on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports today is Dr. Alan Sills, the chief medical officer of the National Football League. And um, it's um, it's a pleasure to be able to get you on, Dr. Sills. And, and I'll tell folks that Alan and I served together on the board of directors of the Franklin Baseball Club um, for quite some time. And this guy is Disgustingly proficient in a number of areas. Let me just say that. Um, but to to be able to draw on your expertise in your professional capacity, Doctor Sills is um, really a a feather in the cap for our show. And so we appreciate you taking some time with us this afternoon.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to see you guys, and uh, excited to be with you. It's always good to be with home folks. Uh, you know, I'm based out of Nashville, so uh, I enjoy getting the chance to to visit with local folks.
2: Well, well we certainly appreciate you um, taking the time. I know you're busy, and we, we've kind of had to um, bump some things around in order to get you on with, with your schedule. And, you know, as as the NFL goes into its final week of regular season play, obviously a lot going on from the coronavirus standpoint. And as Chris said, really been a fluid situation for you guys all, all year and the last two years um really challenging I would say
4: you know it has been but but I think that um, one of the things that the that the NFL fi- uh, prides itself on you know is just resiliency and, and and of course that's a big part of football is how do you deal with adversity how do you how do you suddenly adapt to circumstances you didn't expect and um, obviously illness and injury have been part of the game for a long long time so Um, While it's been incredibly challenging, we've had, I think, a terrific partnership with our clubs. You know, all 32 of our clubs have a dedicated medical staff. They've all got what we call an infection control officer that kind of helps coordinate everything covid um, but everyone is pitched in. I mean, I've, I've just been on the um, on, on a couple of Zoom calls in the last hour here, for example, with a couple of clubs where the general manager, the head coach are on the call sort of preparing ahead for playoffs and some of the things that are affecting there. So it, it's been very much a team effort. Um, we've all learned a lot along the way. And 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 I think that it's been that, that resiliency that's really allowed us to keep going and, and to pivot and, and do things that we needed to do in order to change and adapt to, to a very, very unpredictable landscape, as you said.
2: Obviously, you know, when you came on to the NFL staff, I guess, back in 17, I would imagine the biggest things that you were dealing with were concussions, head injuries, that kind of thing, and reacting to that, and you talk about pivot, all of a sudden you're, you're dealing with infectious disease, diseases and, and pandemics and that kind of thing. This hasn't been necessarily what you signed on for, I wouldn't think.
4: I think it might have been under that other duties as as sign. but uh, but no, you're right. Obviously, uh, back in 2017, concussions were, were front and center, and and listen, they're still a major focus of ours, as are other injuries, lower extremity injuries, hamstring, Achilles, ACL, you name it. But but clearly, the last two years have been dominated by this. But but what I think has been really unique and something that's a uh, an enjoyable part of my job, Mo, is to be able to say, you know, at the NFL, we've actually been able to contribute a significant amount of knowledge to public health agencies. You know, we've had some of the best data because we have had access to testing and tracing and things like that. So Throughout the pandemic, we've met regularly with the CDC, with the White House Task Force, you know, with other public health officials. We've actually published a couple of papers with the CDC, and and we've got another one in the works that will come out in a few weeks. So I I think it's been gratifying that we've been able to take our experience in the NFL and apply that in a way that's really benefited the broader public health effort and, and hopefully showed the way forward. Because what we've tried to do at every point, Mo, is we've tried to say, yeah, there's this virus and there's a set of things we have to do to deal with it, but let's also keep in mind that there's some things in life we enjoy doing. How can we go forward and do both of those at the same time and and do it in a safe manner?
1: It's Interesting that you mentioned that, Dr. Sills, because yesterday the Associated Press put out a story uh, quoting Brian McCarthy, saying that You know, the NFL has every intention of playing Super Bowl 56 as scheduled in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles on Sunday, February 13th. And I feel like you guys are making every effort you can to make sure that that happens. How how important is that? Is it to make that date?
4: Well, I think that we've we've obviously always been committed, as I said, to trying to stay on track with doing things and showing that they can be done safely, but we've also recognized that sometimes we have to change. I mean, we've had to change days of the week when certain games were played. Um, we, we've certainly had to change our protocols and things like that. And one of the things that, that you guys may not be aware of that I learned quickly about the NFL is there's always contingency planning. So every single weekend, and this is pre-COVID, every single weekend – There are stadiums that are prepared to host games if there were suddenly a a natural disaster or some other reason that a stadium couldn't host a game. So there's always tremendous uh, planning for these contingencies and backup plans in place. One of the other things I would emphasize is these aren't decisions we make in isolation as a league. We don't just sort of put our head down and say, well, this is what the NFL is going to do. There's a lot of communication with public health authorities. I mean, we've met multiple times with the Los Angeles County Public Health Authorities, with the state of California, the governor's office. So it's a collaborative effort, again, uh, where we, we want to make sure that we're good partners and, and that we're supporting the public health effort there.
2: You know, Alan, you had previously worked with your alma mater, Mississippi State, in, in a advisory medical capacity, I guess. What's the difference in that work and this work? I would imagine it's to the 10th power in mm-hmm. terms of intensity, and detail, and that kind of thing?
4: Well, I think when when you think about the the NFL and pro sports in general, and obviously there are just so many more resources that, that become available to you. And I, and I think one of the things, again, that people may not be aware of is how much research we do. Um, you know, since I've been there, we've spent over $300 million around medical-based research, and that research covers everything from better helmets and better cleats, to how we can adjust the rules of the game to make things safer, to basic science mechanisms behind some of the diseases, to COVID, to uh, mental health. I mean, it really covers that spectrum. So, So it's gratifying to get a chance to work with so many smart and talented people. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's really still always about that relationship as a doctor or a trainer and a player. And that's really no different than, than, than local high school football, let's say, for example, or to the collegiate or the NFL level. Um, there are just a lot more people in the stands and a lot more cameras uh, that are broadcasting the game at our level. But, but it's still the essence of trying to keep athletes healthy, help them pursue the dreams that they want to do and, and to, to make them as available as possible. That part's really the same at all levels. And, again, that's where I think the NFL can have a big impact on some of these other levels by some of the things that we're we're finding out and, and what our research is showing.
2: Could you do this if you weren't a football fan? I think
4: it would be really hard. Uh, you know, I've been a football fan my entire life, and, and and I still remember going to NFL. NFL used to play six preseason games. A lot of people don't remember that, but – um, there would be preseason games down in Mississippi where I grew up and we would go and watch uh, the Saints play in preseason. And I remember that as a four- or five-year-old kid. Um, so I've been a football and really a sports fan my entire life. And so I think having an interest and an understanding and an appreciation, Mo, for all the positive things that sports and team sports in particular bring to us um, makes makes the job easier.
1: Speaking with Dr. Allen Sills, Chief Medical Officer of the NFL here on Southern Middle Tennessee sports today. And Dr. Sills, you know, when I, when I first asked to see for us to reach out to you, it was because we had no idea what was going to happen as far as, you know, COVID the Omicron had just kind of really taken hold. And there were just a few people who were, you were seeing, you know, being held out for, for COVID protocols. Now, just about every team has somebody on uh, the COVID list and as we saw last week you know you guys made some changes pretty quickly in the the protocols to go from 10 days to five days and that sort of thing and I think other uh, other leagues are taking note of that as well do you see you guys as kind of the leaders in this or is it just because you just happen to have that data that quickly
4: well, I, I do think that there's a there's a leadership role that the league has sort of by default. I mean, it's the most popular sport in America and it's most watched by everyone. And so <clears throat> one of the other things I've learned about the league is our media cycle is is 24 hours a day and it's 365 days a year. So everything we do is gonna have a ripple effect. But, but what we've tried to do with our protocols is really follow what we see as in our own data and also what the public health guidance is. And, and as I said earlier, we have regular conversations with CDC, with the White House Task Force, with others, so that we're apprised of those decisions and what goes into them. And then and then we look very critically at our own data. We have a lot of experts that we work with. We work with our NFL Players Association. So, so our protocols have changed multiple times, and, and when we do see – something that's different, then, then we will obviously respond to that. And I would just share with you guys, Omicron is almost like a whole new disease. I mean, it's behaved very differently than, than previous iterations have of the virus. And so it, it really required us to go back and augment some things uh, based on what we were seeing in our data. And it, and it hit the league very hard, just like it's hitting our country. It's almost like a tidal wave that washed in. And, and we saw overnight Really, a conversion from all of our cases being the Delta variant to being this Omicron variant. So, because of that, we had to sort of pivot and respond to it, and 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 I and I think that the steps we've taken have have amplified and echoed what the public health authorities are doing.
1: Certainly interesting. Um, you know, I feel like this, the way that you guys have handled this, has been very fluid, but also you, you guys have handled it exactly the way it needs to be handled. And I'm very proud of the way the NFL has, has taken a stand in this situation because without you guys, I really feel like, you know, we could still be back in 2020 days. So there's that. Um, Do you feel like this is going to be something that we have to deal with for the foreseeable future, or is it just taking it day by day?
4: Well, I, you know, I, I'm i I'm sort of a fan of Yogi Berra's theory on this. And he said, it's really tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Um, and, and I think that we've certainly seen that be uh, correct uh, with regard to this virus, but um, you know, most all upper respiratory viruses, which is what this is, eventually reach this endemic state in the population, which just means that you've got a lot of people with immunity. Um, they remain contagious, but they're not as severe. And I think that's what we all see this moving towards, hopefully in a in a kind of a silver lining way. Maybe that's what Omicron will do for us is get us to that point a little quicker. But I do think this is going to be around. And, and I think it's about how do we learn to live with it? And again, protecting the vulnerable Um, taking common sense precautions, but at the same time, trying to go forward with life because I think we all recognize that we miss out on things. I mean, certainly I wouldn't sit here and argue to you that sports are an essential part of life, but they add a tremendous value, um, not only on a national basis, but on a local level. And so having kids with the opportunity to participate in sports, team sports, individual sports, I think these are really important things. And so um, we will, I think, learn a lot from this and, and hopefully, you know, it will help us as we approach future um, surges of illness, because we know there will be others down the road. But but I do think that we're heading towards a more endemic state with this. And, and my own personal projection, if you will, for 2022, is that, that we'll be approaching that stage of just like influenza, that, that, that COVID-19 is going to be out there, it's going to affect a lot of folks. But but there's certainly steps that we can do to to protect against it and to 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 live with it and coexist, if you will.
1: One last thing, we got just a uh, less than a minute to go, but I just wanted to to get your. I, I don't. I, I assume you're not an or an ortho doctor or anything, but uh, any, are you surprised to see Derrick Henry uh, potentially going to play either this weekend or in the next couple of weeks?
4: You know, we uh, we never comment on specific players or specific injuries, and uh, so I, I wouldn't touch that. But I would just say that uh, he's obviously an amazing young man, an amazing player. And I have a lot of confidence in the medical staff of the of the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they're folks who've been doing it a long time. They've got a lot of a lot of expertise, and so I know they'll make the best decision together with the player. And that's that's really what sports medicine is about. If you look at it, these aren't about one person telling another person. You know, you've got a player who obviously is a competitor, wants to get back, but they're going to participate and have a meaningful voice in that discussion as well
1: dr alan sills chief medical officer of the national football league here on southern middle tennessee sports today thank you so much for taking some time with us it's been very enlightening and we are so excited to have had you on we appreciate it
4: hey thanks guys all the best
1: when we come back we have more to talk about mo we've got a lot going on including we've got uh NFL, college football, all kinds of great stuff. So stick around. Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Day will return to the Lee Company Studio right after this. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or
2: www.mtbj.net.
1: Fast Stop Markets is proud to be keeping you moving in Tennessee.
3: Keep your home as comfortable as possible. If you have any issues with your air conditioner, electrical, or plumbing systems, call Lee Company. Our techs use visual findings and other technology tools to add transparency and clarity. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on the roof.
1: outside of the military, our greatest leader-building platform is sports. Custom Stone Handlers proudly encourages young people to get in the game. You can contact them today at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic injuries and our orthoquick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net.
0: This is Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today. Sports talk like it used to be. You know, like your crazy uncle used to listen to. Only better. Here's Chris and Mel.
1: Welcome back in. Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today. A quick um, wardrobe change for me. In that last segment. We were able to catch up with Dr. Alan Seals last night uh, for a segment, and we appreciate him taking some time with us when he can, and, and glad that we were able to get him on because it was very enlightening and glad to, to get some clarity on what's going on in the NFL with regards to COVID, and I feel like we got in, we got some good info, Mo.
2: You know, I – it was interesting to me just to kind of hear the process of how they go about, you know, gathering their information. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a surprise the people that they are um, interacting with as they make their decisions and that kind of thing. It was just kind of interesting to hear it from someone, you know, not someone that's speculating at what the NFL is doing, but someone who is involved in, what the NFL is doing. And so I I thought that was really cool. And just, I thought it was a really good get for us to be honest.
1: Well, again, part of that longstanding tradition here in at Southern middle Tennessee sports, where we get the weird guests because Mo knows them all. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks. I think think maybe weird and unique. Same in the same vein there, not not weird as in bad weird.
2: The guests aren't weird. No. no. How we Just, come about them might be very
1: odd sometimes, but it, it works out. It works out. Mo, we got a a lot of transfer portal news today. Tons of it. Red shirt freshman running back out of Florence, Alabama, D Beckwith from Tennessee has entered the portal, former four-star prospect who started as a wide receiver, moved to tight end, and then ended up in the uh, backfield where he continued to move down the depth chart <laughs> all year long. One carry for two yards in the fourth quarter against South Alabama. Just uh, didn't pan out for for D Beckwith, and he joins Will Albright, the long snapper, who announced his intentions to go into the portal uh, for Tennessee earlier this week. And some other transfer portal folks uh, finding some homes. TCU running back Zach Evans headed to the Grove with Ole Miss. Ex-Missouri quarterback uh, Connor Basilak headed to Indiana, apparently. And finally, Auburn gets their man. They get a quarterback. Zach Calzada, former Texas A&M quarterback and winner of that thriller over Alabama, comes to the Plains from Texas A&M. That's the biggest biggest news of this, I, I feel like. Calzada instantly becomes a starter down there, and he's already got a win over Auburn's biggest rival.
2: And he's got three years of eligibility. Correct. I think that's the big, well, <clears throat> the second biggest thing. Like you said, the biggest thing is he's already got a, a win over your biggest rival. But the second biggest thing is you get him for three years. So that's um, that's a pretty good get for Brian Horst and, and, and the program down there. I mean, that's probably about as good as you could do in replacing Bo Nix, I would think. Isn't it?
1: I think they're very similar in style. I think Calzada's toughness is going to be a good thing considering you know the offensive line that he'll have to play behind. Perhaps they'll be able to shore that up before Calzada steps on the field down at Auburn. Uh, someone tweeted uh, a, a graphic that Oregon has all five of their starting offensive linemen coming back, and someone said, y'all think this is why Bo Nix went to Oregon? <laughs>
2: You know, you mentioned um, some of the other movement in and out of the portal. What is the demand in the transfer portal for a long snapper? There probably aren't a whole lot of them out there.
1: I mean, good ones. So, uh, I mean, I I guess, but you would think that if he was good, then... He'd be playing. He be maybe, maybe Tennessee just has two really good long snappers. He's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to make it here. So that's, that's fine.
2: That's where you want to have depth, right there. Is it long uh, snap?
1: Especially when they can't even touch you. I mean, it's not like they can line up and just you know,
2: bowl you over. Anyway, interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it certainly is interesting. There's, there's no question <laughs> there. Um. So this is kind of big news, I guess, for for me because I care about minor league football. Four head coaches announced today for the United States Football League that will kick off in under 100 days, and they haven't even put together teams yet. So there's that. The first three weeks of this USFL will be the worst football you've ever seen. I mean these guys are going to get maybe maybe 5 weeks of practice together before they step on a field. It's not going to be great. But Mike Riley has been named the head coach of the New Jersey Generals. Obviously Mike Riley the uh I guess his His claim to fame is having been uh, a player under Bear Bryant. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. he, He was obviously a longtime coach for the Oregon State program and also spent some time at Nebraska and also spent 10 years in the NFL. Todd Haley, former Chiefs coach, Will be the Tampa Bay Bandits head coach Mo. That's that's a pretty good get for the USFL,
2: right? Was he head coach to Kansas City? Yeah. Guess. So he was the guy before Andy Reid. Then, uh,
1: probably.
2: Wow. I remember him as offensive coordinator at Pittsburgh. I mm-hmm. think I did not realize he had been in Kansas City there, as a head coach.
0: There is a reason, guys, why he's not in the NFL anymore. <clears throat> so I mean, yeah. To to your point, though, Chris. I mean, name wise, yes.
2: Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I don't think he was well liked, though, amongst players. Not that you. Not that every coach has to be, but I recall there was. A, you know, if, if you you can. You can be mean or Mm -hmm. or not a good person and win, but you can't lose and not be a good person.
2: There's, there's that. We've
0: had that conversation before, so we uh, have. I don't think he won enough to to counterbalance
2: his persona. Nineteen and twenty-seven. Okay, I mean, more than I've ever won. Yeah,
1: in the NFL, (laughs) that that you could do worse.
0: Yep. So, <laughs> there are a lot of their I mean, coaches today that have done worse.
1: There's that, and Houston headed back to Texas is Kevin Sumlin.
0: That's where's he been, by the way. After Arizona, yeah,
2: chilling. I guess chilling, waiting with for his, waiting for
0: this.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> chilling with I think an eight figure buyout mm-hmm. at Arizona. Hey, so. good for him. Yeah,
0: good gig. If he didn't have to
2: coach, he didn't coach.
1: (laughs) I mean, no reason. I, I thought I think that's a huge win for the USFL too. I mean, obviously, you you want pro guys, but these are still guys coming out of college, and if coaches can coach, so I'll be curious to see if Johnny Manziel ends up in the draft pool though. <laughs> and then finally, a little Middle Tennessee connection, Mo. Bart Andrus, longtime head coach in the NFL, Europe, and CFL, and former Titans
2: assistant. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't he, recognize that name. But He
1: spent time on the Titans staff uh, during the Super Bowl run, and he, let's see. He was uh, Toronto Argonauts. I'm curious if he'll uh, mm. if he'll end up bringing Chris Jones down. Uh, he was <laughs> offensive assistant quarterbacks coach in '97 for the Tennessee Oilers. Same thing in '98, quarterbacks coach in '99. Which I, I don't know how you coach Steve McNair, but sure, uh, he was an offensive assistant for the Titans again in '08. And uh, spent time also with the Rams in 13. So, there you go.
2: 63-year-old and four- Bart Andrus. Ah, uh,
1: that doesn't matter. He- heck, what? Saban's almost 70. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, some rumors flying around that Gene Chiswick will be the Birmingham head coach. That's unfortunate for Birmingham.
2: Don't you, unless Sam
1: Newton comes with him,
2: don't you just instantly lose half your fan base with that high? Right? I don't understand that. How, how do you just don't,
0: JP? What is that? That is that is that sounds terrible. Sorry about that, guys.
1: What, what was <laughs> that? Where were you? That was scary. <laughs> I was very scared. Uh, yeah, you lose half. I don't know if you lose half your fan base, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it, it, it is you know, kind of curious. I don't know why you would hire an, an Auburn guy, but again, the steel dogs did it when they hired Bobby Humphrey. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. You're alienating half the fan base. And at least this guy's a former coach. I mean, Bobby, before, <laughs> as opposed
2: so. to Bobby Humphrey. Is that what yeah. you're
1: saying? So at least, at least there's that. Uh, then again, he also tweeted that it's not a done deal yet, though. Most people are saying it's all, but done. So, Anyway. Um yeah, so there you go. Philadelphia Stars get Bart Andrews and Tampa Bay with Todd Haley, Kevin Sumlin in Houston. So, should be fun. Uh, USFL their, their draft is going to be next uh, early February, either late late January, early February, maybe right after the Super Bowl, and then they'll start practice and they'll kick off this spring. Uh, in a bubble in Birmingham is most uh, all of the games we played in Birmingham. So that should be unique in and of itself as well, much like the spring league did. So, Hmm. but then they'll move to their own cities and that sort of thing. Uh, So there's that. Um, There was something else about the USFL that I had seen the other day that I thought was really interesting and unique. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but this league is certainly going to be, you know, I guess different from the NFL, obviously, but I think they're going to try to be. Oh, I know what it was. They're going to allow anyone who wants to get an education through, um, through like an online school, they're going to pay for the education. So it's free tuition with uh with like those online schools you see commercials for Mm -hmm. so you can get free tuition and get your degree from those schools Uh, and i'm curious if that that was my thought was big baller brand is this an opportunity are they trying to get kids out of high school to come play in the usfl get played and uh get paid and get their degree so that that's a thought Hmm. hey look at there
0: if hey, a little, you are watching, little snow, pick there.
1: Yeah, that's my front yard. Yeah, it is. If you're yeah. watching on Twitter. If you're watching on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, you can see my front yard. All right, that's going to do it for today. We got one more show left, and we we're, we're going to talk a lot of college football playoffs tomorrow because we will not be on Monday again. So come back with us. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Day for Mo and JP. I'm Chris Yao. Saying, have a great day and stay cool, Columbia.